Andrew, here's the thing. I was not super into The Little Prince. As a mo- I liked the movie, but I was not engaged, okay? There is something to be said about the next film, Palo Alto, and I wonder if you can guess why I am engaged in this movie. I hope it's not the problematic reasons. It's not the problematic reasons. Uh, Gia Coppola? No. Nat Wolf? No. Naked Brothers fan? No. I don't know. What? You think, like, you think like I can read your mind. You go in every different direction. The, re- the reason I watched this movie in the first place, back around the time it came out, is an Emma Roberts joint, man. Emma Roberts. That was going to my... be my fifth guess. Yeah. Oh, Emma Roberts, my celeb crush. Ever since I was a kid watching Unfabulous. You know, her and I grew up together. We have similar birthday. Born around the same time. Great icebreaker. Unfabulous is one of those Disney shows, or not Disney, Nickelodeon shows that I would say I remember the least amount about. Like, same. I couldn't I even tell you like what it. happens. What happens in that show? Um, girl sits on her bed with a guitar, sings about being unfabulous. <laughs> That's it. Uh, but look, okay. Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts, big big fan. Unfabulous's main character is a teenage girl named Addie Singer. Oh, oh, We're real on the nose there. Mm-hmm. She writes hey, songs about her life in is, middle school. We don't accept any Emma Roberts slander on this podcast. I, I'm not slandering. I, I, I genuinely don't remember the show. Um, so I would look, I was super pumped for an Emma Roberts movie. Um, no, also, we're not done with Nick. We're not done with Nickelodeon. Because <laughs> we've got Unfabulous, but that was in the same era. That I've been Zoe, waiting 12 episodes to talk about Emma Roberts on this podcast. And we're really going to we, talk about Nickelodeon. We are talking about Emma Roberts. You started this. Yeah, we were talking about things adjacent to Emma Roberts. What, do we want to talk about Hotel for Dogs next? Like, <laughs> is that even her? That is her, right? Yes, um, it is. Okay. Yes. I always, I wasn't never sure if that was her or Selena Gomez. Um, but the, that was at the same time as like Zoe 101 and Drake and Josh. And if one of them had to be cut from my memory, I picked on Fabulous. All right, now that I've gotten my Nickelodeon piece out, you can get back to your Emma Roberts drooling. I was excited for this movie because Emma Roberts used to be my number one celebrity crush. Emma Roberts, I loved her. And then, you know, she kind of faded on me, I think. Like, I, you know, she was taken. I I realized I might not wind up with Emma Roberts in this lifetime. Crazy, I know. And, uh... You know, I so I shifted to other celeb crushes, but and I didn't really feel that spark when I thought about Emma Roberts in the past. You know, I said, what was that crush based on? And then I go back and I watch a movie like this that came out during um, arguably, I guess, the peak of my crush on her. And I was like, you know what? I I do get it. I do get it. Uh, I don't know. There's uh, thanks for asking. You did. Did you just ask me what? What what do I like about Emma Roberts? I think you just said. Thank you. You were going to say it whether I asked or not, so I just kind of let you Thank you, you go. for asking. I Look, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She's approachable. She also has um, this, like, awkward thing going on, you know? She's a bit awkward in interviews. Uh, great, you know? Makes her accessible. And she's, she's related to acting royalty, so you know that even if her career doesn't work out, there's a backup plan. Even if you were to in- convince her to go on a date with you, uh, you would also have to convince said parents that you are worth her time. What would you do to do that? 
Um, I would be deeply intimidated by Eric Roberts. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I think I could I could win over the approval of Eric Roberts. I think. You just tell him you loved him in The Dark Knight. He was great was in Righteous the Gemstones this season. Did you say was he in The Dark Knight? I don't. I don't know what he was. Yes, in. yes, he's Salvatore Moroni. He's like the main gangster. Oh, he's already off to a bad start. I know, but I'm just thinking about Emma Roberts. So, look, here's the thing, and we'll get it. You know what? Actually, let's, let's talk about Palo Alto first, and then I'll talk yeah, more about. Can I Emma can I introduce the podcast? Can you can you take a deep breath <laughs> while I introduce the, the podcast? <laughs> Forgot about that part. Uh, Emma Roberts is the star of Palo Alto. Uh, welcome back to the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. I'm Drew <laughs> you O'Shea. That's... Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm Drew O'Shea. That's Nick Ricardo, or whatever's left of him. The the quivering sweat coming off of his brow right now, talking about his love <laughs> for Emma Roberts. Uh, we are completing chain number six today of the Cinema Chain Gang pod. Uh, it started with Rachel McAdams animated film the little prince um of course she was a carryover from chain number five uh where we reviewed her movie morning glory we use james franco who is the writer and one of the co-stars of palo alto um as the chain connector to val kilmer who plays a small and i don't know how you would define it i don't think it's a significant role i also don't know why he's in the movie really um but I like Val Kilmer, so we'll talk about him a little bit today. And in the context of talking about this movie, Palo Alto, uh, which came out in 2013, um, it is directed by Gia Coppola. I believe it was her directorial debut. Uh, Gia Coppola, of course, is related to Francis Ford Coppola. Um, she is the granddaughter of Francis Ford Coppola, who is, of course, I, I don't know, do I have to explain who Francis Ford Coppola is? Do you think, do you think that's a name that's just known? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to explain it. Everybody knows him as Nick Cage's uncle. Yeah, exactly. Um, to to spell it out for our people, because I know certain people that listen to this don't know names like that. Uh, he directed The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two and Apocalypse Now, uh, The Conversation, and then Jack with um <laughs> with Robin Williams. Um, so Gia Coppola, it's her directorial debut. Um, she wrote the film, but she based it off of James Franco's short story collection of the same name. And it's basically just about, um, there's not really a plot. It's kind of a vibe movie. Uh, it's about a couple of high schoolers, uh, in Los Angeles or in the Southern California area who basically just like, they get into trouble, they have sex, they put themselves in precarious situations. They don't really have adult figures in their lives. So they're doing things that are breaking the law and putting themselves at risk. And it's just kind of like, a uh, youth the youth can be dangerous you know if they're unsupervised and it's kind of but it's also like supposed to be this kind of poignant thing about life at that time and the directions and the bad choices you can make and the good ones that you can make and the different directions you can go in um it's very it's very of its time uh because i think you could pair at least two other 2013 movies uh with palo alto uh one of them also co-starring james franco spring breakers uh, which came out probably True. around the same time period. Uh, and then also The Bling Ring, uh, which is Sofia Coppola's uh, movie, uh, who is her aunt. Uh, and that's about bad behavior in California and uh, teenagers robbing rich people and trying to live out a lavish life in that specific time area. 
anyway, I just wanted to, we had a little, lot of little mini connections there. So I kind of wanted to set all that up and that, you can go back to Emma Roberts now. Cause she's like, if there's a lead of this movie, she's the lead, even though it's kind of an ensemble. Well, actually, I just want to add uh, one more thing in or uh, ask you for clarification on something. You said you don't know why Val Kilmer is in this movie. Do you mean like realistically or do you just mean kind of philosophically or something? Well, I, realistically would be because his son, Jack, okay. is one of yeah, the stars. That's what I was, yeah, uh, but but yeah, not I guess the first nepotism it, movie that we've had, too. But uh, no, um, this, this whole movie is a nepotism movie. There's, yeah, right. Yeah, but, but not the first one we've had on the chain either. On the, on the pod, yeah. On the pod. No, I, look, like you were saying, the, and we'll probably get into this, I guess, but one of the, the this whole youth can be dangerous thing and supposed to have another poignant meaning. Uh, there's, that's like an ongoing issue, I think, with the film is like what its meaning is. And that's also something that exists within the source text, which I already don't remember if you said, but Palo Alto Stories, a collection of short stories by James Franco. Did you say that? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't well, really, I didn't really dive, I didn't go into it more than just saying it was the short story collection. So you can expand if you'd like. Yeah, so uh, James Franco put out that short story collection and it's, you know, all these stories are kind of woven together. It's about, like, in the movie, these youth in Palo Alto, the story, he got criticized when that came out because he... It was based on, like, true events. It was a, it was a fictional set of stories but it was based on true um people's stories in palo alto um and so some people were kind of you know felt like he was too directly just ripping off fiction too ripping off reality for his you know and calling it fiction and being able to take credit for it um other the other you know within there though also was just this idea of like you're people felt like he was telling some of these stories um, that had like traumatic undertones and stuff without seemingly having a reason for telling them. I haven't read Pell Out the Stories, I'm not sure, but um I haven't that either. I, some of the, um, yeah, some of the some of the reviews were that it it um you know, people read that collection or were like, well, you didn't you, you didn't um derive a point from this, so why are you telling these? And that includes stories about like um which was not in the movie, but somebody like trying to bomb a campus or something like that. Um, another story which wasn't did become something in the movie about like a teacher who molested students at Palo yeah, Alto me, High School. Can I just set up like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So April is one of the main characters. She's a soccer star. Franco is her coach, uh, and they clearly there's clearly like a predatory relationship and like a grooming process going on with her, um, which you know Palo Alto. The stories you're talking about all the criticisms of the stories. Uh, yeah. the much bigger fish to fry now with certain criticisms of said stories, um, given its uh, writer and stars uh, transgressions and grievances and horrible behavior, allegedly. Um, so that's one story, and it kind of ties in and weaves in with two other stories. You've got Jack Kilmer, who plays Teddy. Um, he is really good friends with Nat Wolf's Fred. Fred is like just like the worst. He's just a horrible kid <laughs> for for reasons that are given backstory throughout the movie. And we'll go into that a little later. Um, but he's, he's just a really bad influence. And Teddy is always in trouble and he gets caught drunk driving and DUI hit and run. And basically he's on thin ice and his his future is very much walking a tightrope. And then Fred has a relationship with this girl. Um Emily, I believe is her name. Yes. Who kind of has like the, she has the reputation of being kind of like the, 
the slutty girl at the school and they have a relationship that like kind of goes somewhere but not really it's kind of a it's kind of the outlier story of the three in my opinion um and yeah that's that's kind of the basic setup of all the different elements um mm-hmm. it feels like they all could be short stories that were woven into one yeah and so that's something especially coming off of the little prince and seeing the way that they adapted that um it's interesting that this was the next one because i'm not sure what the stories look like how you know they were all interwoven in the book i'm not sure if they were separate as far as um did did each story just contain the arc of you know the a story b story c story in this movie Uh, i would imagine that's what it is and the movie just kind of like put them all together but i'm not sure but i would imagine i would assume this is also in a sense not a complete you know they had to do some footwork to make this a correct adaptation the other thing um or a cohesive adaptation i mean um the other thing is apparently like in the book with the story of the teacher and the student that became james franco and emma roberts like there's other aspects that seem to conveniently be left out of the movie like the emma roberts character like had was was molested in her past and that's why she's susceptible to it in the you know to it when when her teacher comes on to her and uh that is something that's just not in the movie and it, in it, that feels like a major detail to leave out because you're completely, I think, kind of altering. And, and instead, it just becomes, look at this student who's smitten with the teacher. And not necessarily even that it's trying to justify it, but it is, it's definitely changing a context. And I think the thing is, like, I don't know what the movie's trying to do. But. Which, if it's changing the context and making it more just about attraction, is bad look for James Franco, given everything that James Franco was accused of, which is a lot of the times trying to, you know, do inappropriate stuff with his students when he was an NYU professor or wherever he was teaching. Um, a lot of the allegations have to do with him trying to court women that he should not be courting, younger women. Yes. And he is not, his career has not recovered from that ever since he wore the Time's Up pin at the Golden Globes and then was immediately outed as a faker uh, yeah. right after yeah. that. Yeah, there it's it definitely uh, some like striking overlap here. And look, I know I, I I just don't know what necessarily they were they were going for. How did you feel about the movie overall, pros and cons of it? I I think for me, it it starts interesting. It's got kind of that vibe that I sometimes like. Like I really like Spring Breakers. I do not like Bling Ring, um, and I don't watch, which I think the most interesting and probably relatable comparison for a lot of people that are listening to this right now is this this is very much eight years ago euphoria you know where it's like yeah teens teens doing drugs and partying and having sex and but their their lives are like hanging on the balance by this ultimately could be life destructing but ultimately meaningless drama um I thought I thought the way the movie started, it was setting up a lot of interesting things to say about that, or it was feeling philosophical and deep. And then somewhere around the second half, I got my full fill of it, and the movie just spun its wheels to the end. Um, so I would mm-hmm. say I, I ended up being really mixed on it by the end, just because I kind of it ran out of poignant things to say. It was like, yeah, teens, teens are in dangerous spots at some point, and they have bad father figures, and they're shaped by their lack of adult instincts and help um but what about it you know (laughs) yeah yeah there you know there were um 
a couple of things. One, uh, th- there was certainly a point where I felt like, are, are you continuing to show me this movie to um, make a point, to make a commentary? Or are you just showing me this movie because you're you're kind of you're watching now the romance and sex lives of these like high schoolers? And if so, that ju- that just feels not like that. I, I question why you're showing that to me that more. It feels more like you just want to be showing this or something. So and that goes back to like the book. Like, I, 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 I imagine that there is just a level of James Franco that really wants to tell you about, like, who these high schoolers are sleeping with, because it seems to be who he's interested in. But yeah i don't know uh the other i did though at the beginning of the movie and um i would assume this is credit to gia coppola uh i really liked the energy at the beginning of the movie there were a lot of kind of quick cuts and stuff and um i don't know if this will make sense to you but there was like this i feel like there was an energy that like nick and nora's infinite playlist uh was going for and at times achieved which is just this like another movie i don't care for (laughs) it's um we have some differences on that, but but uh, I, I I completely get you liking that one. To- it, totally, it, totally a you movie. It, it uh it you know just this idea of like these these kids who don't really have restrictions or whatever in the sense of like you know summer vacation or the weekend the night is theirs. Uh, there's a little bit of that and saying like super bad or something like that, but just this kind of feeling of like uh or or even book smart or something like that. I thought it was captured really well. Um, at the beginning, then, then I don't know. It gets this is that's a good example. It it's like Booksmart started. trying to be super, super deep. When Booksmart achieves a lot of the same ideas, but isn't as on the nose and self serious about it. But there's a part where Jack Kilmer's character is talked to by this counselor, and like the counselor directly asks them, like, "So, what do you want to do with your life?" And it's like, "Oh, wow!" So we're just going to take the movie's themes and just put them right on the nose, right there. You know, like. It's a lot of that stuff, like, like not to skip to the end, but yeah, that Fred no, character, yeah. the Fred character, he's, he's told by like that art teacher that he, you know, he's, he's driving in the wrong direction or whatever like that. And then he ends the movie literally driving in the wrong direction. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. quite the, quite the metaphor. Like <laughs> it's, it's not really a metaphor if you're just so explicit with it. Like the movie yeah. isn't as intelligent as it wants to be, but I think Gia Coppola does a good job of trying to negate a lot of the tendencies of the source material. Like, I don't think, I don't really blame, I blame her for the aimlessness. I don't blame her for the obviousness of everything happening and the, what makes it kind of tough to watch now. Uh, that's fair. I also think not that this movie is talked about now. And I think it wouldn't be just because in a sense, there's a lot of underwhelming stuff. But this movie also particularly, I feel like, does not fit in 2022, maybe even barely did in, what was it, 2013? Um, yeah. Because it, it entirely, this is not a movie f- for everyone because it's entirely a movie about these the privilege of these, like, white Californian kids, right? It The entire thing is, like, they kind of bounce along and then they're given a second chance and stuff like that. And it is very, it, it's almost like Affluenza the movie or something, although they don't really go into the kids' backstories, which maybe makes it worse. I don't hate Nat Wolf and Jack Kilmer's characters or, or Emma Roberts' character or anything like that, but, but, I, but I also, I don't know, I don't love them. I don't necessarily, well, particularly, let's say Nat and Jack, they, the, the two male characters, like they're, I don't know, they, what, they're victims of themselves? Is that what it is? Jack is a victim of 
Nat's character being a victim of his father's confusion. His father played by, I believe, Chris Messina, I think, right? Chris Messina's other, uh, he, he has reappeared on, on the on yeah. the podcast. So, Chris, so there's a scene where Jack Comer's character uh, goes to visit Fred's house and his father's there and the father basically tries to pick him up and you find out, oh, the father is gay and you understand now why why you know fred is the way he is he's so like hyper masculine and trying to be cool when in reality he's just like he has he's he's confused by everything that's around him and every every circumstance of his life and i think the movie was effective with that too late um here's the thing that like separates us from something like euphoria uh which i don't i don't watch i, I know enough about that i feel like i can comment on it the, the tone of euphoria is is it's I think it's kind of a little over the top at points, but it at least is operatic and you're supposed to laugh at the absurdities of and the privilege going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to you're supposed to take a little bit of pleasure in the campiness of the characters and their, their quote unquote problems when, you know, there are actual people struggling in the world. Um, this movie plays it straight and it's just a lot of slow montages and a lot of deep conversations. Like at one point they talk about like, would you leave, would you leave a drunk driving crash scene behind? Do you think it hurts to shoot yourself? And it's like, uh, I don't like spending time with pretentious kids. You know, I like spending time with kids who are messy. (laughs) Like again, spring breakers. What, what, what is it even? I, I kind of struggle with like what it's saying about, you know, like the James Franco, Emma Roberts storyline. I just don't kind of understand what they, how they think that plays in or how what point they think they're making. I think it's supposed to just be kind of like about vulnerability. And, you know, like we see Emma Roberts' mother once in the entire film. And I, I yeah. think that's the extent of it, you know? I mean, do you think it... I don't, I don't think it's like a movie that, even despite it being based on James Franco's story, I don't think it's a movie that's like trying to justify, but I also don't think it's a movie that's trying to like demonize anything and it's i I feel like it's coming from a place of like look at this student and this teacher that got into this this uh forbidden relationship and i i yeah i don't know that feels kind of weird to me i don't even think the movie has to be i'm not saying that has to be the point of the movie is that james franco's you know character is problematic or something but i do think there it's just it's it's just there you're right yeah yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely I completely hear what you're saying. Like that's that. That's I, I think the main I criticism also, for me. I, I also I, I don't necessarily think that it's a movie's responsibility to make a judgment about everything that is in that movie. Like, I don't think that if a movie shows some shows somebody doing a bad action who is not then getting comeuppance for it, who's not facing a consequence for it. I don't think that that movie is justifying that thing um, or explaining it away. There are people who do think that, but I think that you can have mo- have movies that don't, and that goes into this whole thing of like the way that some people correctly or incorrectly say that the Wolf of Wall Street like um, um, glorifies white collar crime and stuff like that. I think there's a place for that, but in something I also like don't, this, I also don't think that's true. I and don't I, think, I it don't think it is either. But but I don't think it is either. But um, but in something like this. It's just given the times that 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 story is so charged and also it's just so at the center of everything 
and it's so meaninglessly at the uh, or, or for for no real good reason i think at the center of everything the story of the teacher taking advantage of the student and so i'm like what it's weird to me that there is no thing there the only comeuppance he faces is that the student said emma roberts spoiler breaks up with him because he finds out she she finds out he's he with another, another student, student. yeah and, and there's that, no consequences right it's i it's 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 i don't like and they don't do the other thing they don't say they don't make you they still just show emma roberts as the aimless person her character and at the time i mean i mean in that context she's also like a remarkably strong character kind of right like there there's a level she remains level-headed in this in some sense yeah. i don't know i don't know uh, uh, yeah I, yes i think i think the big thing is First of all, to go back to your point from a couple minutes ago, I agree. It is not art's job to litigate morality, you know, like, so no movie, you don't have, you don't, the movie doesn't have to condemn bad characters, but at the same time, it needs to say something, you know, it's just kind of there, you know what I mean? Like in the specific option. Um, and in terms of Emma Roberts character, it does, it does progress her to the point where after she breaks it off with the James Franco coach, like she the the whole the whole movie is building towards April and Teddy Emma Roberts and Jack Hilmer coming back together at the end, uh, and they implicate that that's going to happen, um, like early on, and then they kind of yeah. go their separate ways for a while, and then eventually they find each other um, via text at the end, um, and the whole thing is like she has gotten past her BS, Teddy's gotten past his BS, Fred and Emily aren't as lucky. It seems like it's a it's a back and forth thing. It's like it's the the point that's trying to make is that some some kids will make it out and some kids will be doomed by their immaturity and their circumstances. So at least there was a purpose there at the end, even if it was a little bit obvious. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Val because that's the whole reason we're talking about this. Absolutely. Um, he plays a he plays a guy named uh, Stuart whose role in the movie is pretty like stupid in my opinion. Not stupid, but like I don't really understand what he brings to it. <laughs> He's in like two scenes and like neither of them are interesting. Um, I, I can tell you what he brought to it if you want financing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it was distributed by, by Tri Tribeca, right? So they probably need a little bit of extra. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it was shot. Oh, oh, I see. Do you see the one line on the Wikipedia about production? Did you already know about this? No. Filming took place November and December 2012 in Southern California at the homes of Val Kilmer and Gia Coppola's mother. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I did see that. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I see now. They were actually just filming in Val Kilmer's house. Like Jack Kilmer he, was like, "We can use my dad's <laughs> house," and he's like, "Hey, you guys got a role for me? What if we? Yeah. What if we? What if we have this wacky storyline where I'm Emma Roberts' dad and I write her papers?" Yeah, this this he wasn't exactly doing a lot, you know, like <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's what he does. I couldn't even remember what specifically he does in the movie. He just tells her her paper's terrible, rewrites it, and then gets her in trouble for plagiarism. <laughs> like, yeah. Which uh, I mean, look, does lend itself to some idea of. Uh, there's something to be explored there that really wasn't about, uh, in one sense, just the kind of like the 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 burden of their parents or whatever of, of you know, he like forced that new paper upon her, but also the privilege or something. But obviously the movie was... doesn't go into it. So there's no point for me to. Right. Obviously, this is way past his his peak of popularity was like 87 to 97. 
I would say. 95 specifically with Batman Forever and Heat. Two big roles for him. Of course, he had Tombstone a couple years before that. He, he played Jim Morrison in The Doors movie in 91. Of course, he was in Top Gun in 86. So that era, he was so popular. And then he just kind of, he went away. Uh, there's a really good documentary about him that came out last year called Foul. Yeah, I really want to see that. Um, it's really good. And it goes into kind of like, one, it's a unique way to tell his story through his lens. And I believe Jack directed it. Might have been... I, really no okay no i made that up that's wrong jack is a part of it obviously he narrates it jack narrates it that's what it is because val kilmer has this medical condition now and he barely can talk uh it's actually really sad his throat cancer and he's been battling it for years so he wrote down a lot of his story uh and jack narrates it and goes through each era of his career uh, include the highs the lows and everything that happened um really really great documentary um about his legacy but this was a time when palo alto came out that he really wasn't doing much so his inclusion is kind of like oh hey it's 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 val kilmer and then you don't really have much more to say about it than that <laughs> that's what it feels like and, and based on what we just learned about palo alto that's probably how it was conceived it's it's weird because he's like never fully gone away like he, he he isn't washed up i would say he was never washed up like every once in a while he would give it a role like in 2005 he came back with kiss kiss bang bang which is a great movie um, and one that if we, if the gods bless us, we could possibly get on the next chain coming up in a few minutes. Um, Shane Black directed, written Robert Downey Jr. right in the middle of his comeback as well. So he was in that. And then a couple of years later, he was in the MacGruber movie as, uh, as the villain in that. So he like never went fully away. And he was one of those people. He's one of those guys that he's like, you're, you're welcome when you see him. I, I doubt he's going to be doing much more given the state of his voice and everything. Look, I don't want to cut off any other important things that you have, but I have something else to say about Emma Roberts. Okay. This movie, uh, there was something for me this time around watching it too, off off the peak of my Emma Roberts crush, uh, which is, I have, I have, as I've, as I alluded to before, I've moved on to new celebrity crushes from Emma Roberts. I'm really my happy for you. Thank you. My current is Margaret Qualley. Did not realize until I was rewatching this movie that she's in this movie. And not only is she in this movie, she is the student that James Franco kind of like is attracted to after Emma Roberts. And she, Emma Roberts is jealous of 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 Margaret Qualley. James Franco's he's taking advantage of both of them. Um, and there is a scene in which Emma Roberts asks her friends. April asks her friends. You know, do you even think Raquel Margaret Qualley is pretty? And they're like, yeah, she's gorgeous. And she's like, I don't think she's that pretty. And I could not help but A, note the irony or fittingness of it. And B, think that that scene was a shout out to me. I think Emma Roberts is a little, a little offended and upset that I no longer consider her my celeb crush. If you don't know who Margaret Qualley is, you bet you Margaret, might best know no, her. This is important. Margaret Qualley... And you know what? You know what? You're I actually have something you, else to you're, say. I'm, you're, you're stepping on a joke I was going to make. I want to finish oh, the joke. You bet you fine. might best know her for her feet in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When she sh sticks them up on the on the dashboard in Brad Pitt's car. <laughs> I don't remember that for some reason. That's like her most prominent scene ever. Isn't well, it? I was, I don't know. I was too focused on Margaret Qualley. Okay. So here's the thing. Uh, I have a few things to say. Number one, Margaret Qualley, her mother is do you know 
Andy McDowell. I mean, I have it up, so that's why I know. Her mother's Andy McDowell. I think, let me just say, I think, similar to, to, to Eric Roberts, um, how I, I said that I could, you know, win over his approval, I think I, I, I think I would immediately get Andy McDowell's approval. I think if I met Andy McDowell, she would be like, oh, you should marry my daughter. I am positive Andy McDowell would love me. I, I, don't, I don't know what Andy McDowell's into, but I just think that, you know, her and I could just, uh, I don't know, do a crossword together or something like that, and she would be like, this kid's smart. This kid is cultured and this kid really respects my daughter. And that's why I think Margaret Qualley is uh, who I'm meant to be with. Now, she's with Jack Antonoff, allegedly, from Bleachers and Fun. And in a sense, I should be grateful because it made him put out like this great album that I think is about her. Uh, and I wouldn't have that album otherwise. But oh, she at the dated same, Shia. I didn't know that. She also dated Shia LaBeouf. So I feel like she's I feel like she's out of my league now, but I don't know. And and I also think I don't know. Look, it's tough for me when um, actresses I have crushes on date my favorite musicians. Zoe Deschanel married Ben Gibbard and he put out like happy music. And I was like, this is not what I asked for. So it's difficult. But bringing this back to the movie. Um, actually, let me say one other thing. I think we're, we're circling something here. We're circling something both I in think the what movie. I think what we're circling is that you have the same taste as either the casting director or James Franco, and I hope it's the casting director, because you don't want to be associated uh, well, with no, having the same taste all, as James Franco. First of all, James Franco is like 30 years older than me, and all of these celebrity crushes are my age and not his. Margaret now, Qualley also dated Pete Davidson, because everyone yes. had. We're circling two important things. One of them, two patterns here. One's about me and one's about the film. First, I'll talk about me because that's more important. I... I think. By the I way, audi audience, there's there there will be time codes hopefully in the description if you want to get past this. I'll make sure to leave those out. I think that I should marry into a famous family. I think that I deserve to um, be the by marriage benefactor of the fortune of a Roberts or a McDowell or something like that. And I think that that's a good, I wouldn't even say, you know, I think the problem is that Emma Roberts and Margaret Qualley are now famous. And I think I liked them when they were not as famous. Uh, and, their problem is that they're successful and now it makes it harder for you to play out this fantasy in your yes, head. Yes, yes. So it's my problem is what I should say. Yeah. And I think what I actually, I think what is actually best for me is a non-famous offspring of someone famous. Do I... Do I deserve, do I deserve to be with, first of all, a Selena Gomez? No. Uh, a Miranda Cosgrove? Cosgrove? No, she's too high profile for me. But do I deserve to be with Kelsey Grammer's stepdaughter? Absolutely, I do. Huh. Now, I don't know that I, Kelsey I, Grammer has a stepdaughter, daughter, but I'm just saying that I, I think, that I think uh, that's the, the world I should you... be circling romantically. Now, I also have something important to say about the movie. But if you uh, well, want to no, keep talking not, about this, I get it. We're, yeah, we're, we're not done with this. I, I, if, if you were to be audited by the IRS in this time when you were part of said Hollywood royalty, I would love to see the receipts of what you're spending the money on. Look, it's not about the money, okay? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a good guy. It's about, it's about the fame. It's, yeah, about, the, for, it's about the cachet. $15,000 spent on the... the uh, Mail delivery outfit that Kevin James wears on the King Queens just for just <laughs> okay, for it to go for, in the basement. First, first of all, that is like a two hundred dollar purchase max. I've not made it, but I have seen it. But can't you see me? You know, in TMZ, like 
they're because they're always like, look who this person is dating now. So like a Pete Davidson or somebody, they'll be like, look who this celebrity is dating now. Um, but there are times where they can't figure out who it is. It's like a normie and they don't have any sources that are like, I know this person because it's like it's like, oh, Margaret Qualley's dating. Oh, her parents, friend's son, and they don't know who it is. They don't know how they met. And so they're just like this mystery person. Can't you see me being on TMZ as like, we don't know who this guy is. We don't get how he landed her, but he's the new mystery beau of this celeb. I you know think what, that's... The, have you ever seen Monsters, Inc.? There's a reason for this, I promise. I'm, I'm not interested in either character from Monsters, Inc. No, but there's a bit in Monsters, Inc. <laughs> where Mike, Mike Wazowski, Billy Crystal's character, keeps getting, like, he's on magazine covers or he's in commercials or he's on TV and different, like, bugs or logos keeps blocking him. That would be you. Like, there, you, your photo would be on the cover of People magazine holding... Margaret Qualley's hand and yeah. they would have the, the, the price tag sticker right over your face because they, they wouldn't know what to do otherwise. They Her <laughs> assistant who's carrying her Starbucks. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but really, uh, on the point of the movie, the, uh, talking about this has kind of made me stumble upon a realization. And this is something that really I don't know if this um, points to a deeper meaning, points to a coincidence or points to the idea of the privilege that we also see in Palo Alto. But this movie has a lot of cast members that are... This has Jack Kilmer, who's Val's son. This has Emma Roberts, who's Eric's daughter and Julia's niece. This has Margaret Qualley, who's Andy McDowell's daughter. There's a... I wonder if there are others. There's a lot of... Um, I don't want to say nepotism, but a lot of family dynasties or whatever in this movie. Nat, Nat Wolf and Alex Wolf from the Naked Brothers Band. It's not like uh, their, their parents. There was probably nepotism involved in that. I would, I would assume, right? I mean, how did the Naked Brothers Band start? Do you know what the um, Naked Brothers I, Band is? First of all, or am I just talking yeah? About myself? But I didn't really watch it much. But there's something there too. Yeah, their parents yeah, at, are uh, something. Michael yeah, Wolf yeah. and Polly Draper. Michael's an American yeah. jazz pianist. Pianist. He was the band leader on the Arsenio Hall show. Did not know that. Polly Draper go. also uh, literally made a show for her kids, director. like made yeah. their career. Yeah. So, so there look, you go. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that is um, there. I think they're all super talented, too. So but but there is and I wonder if it was on purpose or not that there is this like. Uh, all of these privileged kids with famous parents. Start in a movie about these kids who are like living under their parents shadows or something and i don't know yeah i um i think you're onto something there that actually makes a lot of sense and i think it's a credit to it, i think i think it's they're a credit all... to how important it was for me to talk about emma roberts for 10 minutes because that's how yeah. i came up with this yeah uh, yeah sure <laughs> uh, my, I, my, my point favorite is, thing about being 45 minutes into a podcast is hearing the exhaustion in your voice well it's the uh, exact <laughs> opposite of the little prince one right to pull teeth for you to talk about the movie and now you're talking about everything in your on your head <laughs> you know like, what in the in the editing room i should i'll i'll um i'll put some of this emma roberts talk in the little prince episode. in the little prince episode <laughs> it's like a it's like a little easter egg tease coming up next week on uh um I, I think it's a credit to all of them that they're all actually pretty good in the movie. I, I was impressed by Jack Kilmer. 
Nat Wolf, I've I've known is solid. He's not as talented as bro- as his brother Alex, who has been in a lot of really great movies like Pig and Patriots Day and Hereditary. Um, but he's good. He's solid. Uh, and Emma Roberts has always been decent. She needs a better agent because a lot of the stuff she books, yeah, like she's got she has a residency on American Horror Story, and uh, she could actually flourish if she tried to make movies again. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that weren't the holiday. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of really like pigeonholing in her career, and I'm not sure why it's happening. Where like she's in, I mean, she's staying in this like Ryan Murphy world, and so she's in all the horror stories, and was she in Scream Queens or something too? I don't know. But then, yep, I but, think she was but, the lead in Scream Queens. But but then also she's in. She also plays this like aimless drifter, and maybe part of that is just being like when it was when she was a teen actress. But she's like in Palo Alto and the art of getting by. And I don't know. In a sense, some of that I guess is in holiday. She's actually really good in Scream Four, um, as the I, I won't say her connection in Scream Four, but she has a major role in that. Uh, Where the Millers, decent comedy. She she mm-hmm. does well in that. Uh, do you ever well, see Holiday? Yeah. Holiday seems I like saw, a movie yes. you'd watch. Based I saw on ho- Buzz. I, like I to yeah I like uh, you know ironically watched Holiday. Um, I really liked her, by the way, and it's kind of a funny story. Yep. Um, Definitely a new movie with one with uh, Cinema Chain Gang alum Zach Galifianakis. I in- I interviewed for like the production company that was behind that to intern for them, and they were like, "What movies do you like?" And I was like. Well, one of my favorites is it's kind of a funny story, and they definitely thought I was lying because we were sitting in a room and the poster was just right there as the only poster <laughs> in the room. And so I said, I go, I'm not saying that because the poster's right there. I did not get the job. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a solid movie. Directed by the um, people who would originally go on to do Captain Marvel for Marvel. Fun fact. And, and um, one other thing she was in that, honestly, I hope we see uh, on this podcast at some point is little italy because it's just a complete uh i think it's just a complete plagiarism of an already bad abc family rom-com called pizza my heart so there's that is this and that's an example this is an nyc movie is this an nyc movie no it's a little italy um i don't think little italy is um it um but that's it's a good example of like i don't understand what you know what kind of role she's booking or why 2018 rom-com with hayden christensen and it just surprises me. I don't know. I wanted to talk about this movie, Arctic Dogs, um, because it's it. We're talking about James Franco and his horribleness and stuff. But he like there were like vestiges of old projects that were still like in the can when things were coming out. Um, and he had finished a work on this animated movie called Arctic Dogs, which has maybe the the most problematic animated cast of all time. Um, first of all, it's a bad movie. Uh, the the lead is played by Jeremy Renner, who has had his issues. Alec Baldwin is the co-lead. James Franco is third build. Michael Madsen, like like, just right there, like those four in one movie. It's I like the all canceled team. By the way, this movie's been out since 2019, and it has one paragraph on, um, Wikipedia. God, this reminds me of that food fight movie or something. This is yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I saw it opening weekend. I uh, went to a Buffalo Wild Wings, got a little tipsy, and stumbled into Arctic Dogs. <laughs> that, is, that is the greatest anecdote I've ever heard. I got tipsy at a Buffalo Wild Wings and stumbled into the opening weekend of Arctic Dogs. Uh, there's, there's another parallel. I, on a weekday, when I was living in Albany, 
I got a little tipsy and I stumbled into the well, what else is there to do in Albany opening I, I went to a Dave and Buster's I had a little bit of drink and then I went to go see a Medea family funeral <laughs> the life on a weeknight at, on a weeknight at 9 p.m. <laughs> That's absurd. one more note on Arctic Dogs because it actually continues the thread uh, there's a spin-off series called Puffins that was released. I don't remember what the Puffins were. I think they were like this movie's version of the Minions. Uh, and Johnny Depp was the voice of the lead Puffin. So, another person who is struggling. God. Although, um, he was awarded at the Academy Awards with one of the fan-favorite films. I'm so. going to write a book called Albany Stories, and it's just short stories about you getting drunk at various chain restaurants and then stumbling into uh, mediocre movies in Albany. <laughs> Like, it sucks that James Franco is such a bad person because it's like his career was just taking off late. Like, like this came out weeks after his best performance in The Disaster Artist, all of this stuff. It came out kind of because of it as well. Um, yeah, and then he's just, now he's done, as he should be. So how do you feel about the movie overall? I wonder, you know, how you would have felt about the movie when it came out and also now with that context, if it changes it at all for you. Has that changed your rating or has it made the movie more unsettling or anything to you? Because I feel I like I, this is like a, th I say this a lot, but a three and a half or star eh, something. Oh, it's low. Yeah, three it's and a half star for movie me. for me. And now I'm like more two and a half, not because just some like, I want, um, screw James Franco, but it's like, but it's because I, um, it, that has made me realize I don't understand the point of a lot of this stuff in the movie. It's, it's a, it teeters back and forth between two and a half and three, but I don't think it's because of the Franco connections. It's an unfortunate part of the circumstances of it, but I just think the movie's a little aimless and, you know, yeah. like not as interesting as it wants to be on its own besides everything else that happened. Right. Um, Got it. Well, that's, that's Palo Alto. I think that was thorough. You want to make a new chain? Absolutely. I'm ready for a new chain. Let's do it. So we just completed chain number six on the show. And as per usual, I'm going to generate this time a random actress because we alternate back and forth. Um, between actors and actresses. So I have 10 actresses up on my screen. We finished our chain from Rachel McAdams to Val Kilmer. And now we're going to go from Val Kilmer to one of these 10 actresses. So pick a number between one and 10. Nine. So again, we're not picking the most high profile person. We will be going from Val Kilmer to Terry Polo. Does that name ring a bell? Terry Polo? No. She is best known as Ben Stiller's wife. And meet the parents. Oh, that's that, I didn't know that's her name. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of her. She does great. Really, she she does such great work. Oh, like actually, that's great. Yeah. I can't. I don't think I can name. She's anything one of those she's faces you see. I feel like. Okay, so let's see where oh, this man. chain takes oh, us. Oh man, yeah, she's in. Oh, that's where I know her from. And oh my god, I would. I. I. Oh, I hope this is a movie we watch. She's in Domestic Disturbance, but we'll see. Val Kilmer. I think we're likely to get one of the Meet the Parents movies. But let's let's see. Val Kilmer to Terry Polo are connected by a guy named John Stockwell. Who don't Val know who Kilmer, that is. Val Kilmer starred in John with John Stockwell in Top Gun, which I just added to my list on Netflix today. Um, I've never seen it. And John Stockwell 
appeared with Terry Polo in a movie called Born to Ride. Are you Born familiar with to Born ride. to Ride? It Born is, to it looks Ride like is a It is her first credit. Oh my god, look at this box. Oh, look look at the Oh, oh we need to do this. Oh. John <gasps> John Stamos as a biker oh, who turned is... military corporal. Oh my god. Okay. Absolutely. We are absolutely talking about this movie. Top Gun is very timely too because the second Top Gun movie is coming out soon. And so. I literally I just put it in my list that like an hour before we started recording. We'll actually have people listen to us for once. We'll be talking about a movie that's relevant to their lives. <laughs> This is great. I'm excited for two, um, I don't know, action-y something movies. Val Kilmer, John Stockwell, Terry Polo is our next chain. Uh, probably the three most random people you could hear put together, but let's, we'll, we'll do this. It'll be fun. We'll have a good time here. That oh, will yeah. do it for this episode of the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Oje. The chain continues.